So I have to tell you a funny story uh, this week. A few of you have heard it and know about it already. It involves our, uh, our sound crew back there. So last, uh, last Sunday, uh, after I finished preaching, um, I'm standing in the back, just worshiping, praising God, just in the spirit. And I look over, and there is just all laughter going on back in the soundboard. Um, while you were all worshiping and singing too. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on. So I go over there, and the uh, sound uh, folks have been trying to turn down this one particular voice up here that sounded really off. (laughs) And guess whose voice it was? They had left my microphone on. I'm in the back singing my heart out. And they're like, does Jerry sing that bad? You know, and they're trying, to, they're trying to turn him down. Does Adam sing that bad? Who is this making this terrible noise? And then when they realized it was me, they just, they, they just lost it. They're just busting up. So uh, this is a true story. And uh, I still, am, still haven't been invited to uh, be on worship team uh, yet, but I'm waiting, waiting for that, that invitation. Part of, uh, part of being a human is uh, a desire to be great. Uh, if we uh, stand up at the plate, uh, we, we, we want to hit the home run. We want to hit the ball uh, over the fence. If we are making a meal, we want that meal to be really good. And we want thanks an appreciation for that, for that meal. Can I get an amen? amen. Uh, and often, and often that, uh, that doesn't happen. Part of being human is a, a desire uh, to, to do great things, uh, to lead, to be first. Uh, whether we're uh, cooking a meal or to be really frank, whether we're preaching a sermon. We want uh, to be great. Uh, this is, is what we see happening in the passage where, where Bud has just read. Uh, the disciples themselves are, are arguing. We see it in numerous places in the Gospels about who's going to be the greatest. This is not only something internal, this desire to be great, but it's something that we want for our children. We want our children to be great. This year, we spent, I spent a lot of time driving. My oldest son did ski team for the first time. So a bunch of other parents and I, three times a week, we're driving our boys up to various ski resorts so that they can train and practice, become better skiers, and maybe become a, a great skier. My wife and, and daughter are often out on the front lawn doing uh, soccer drills so that our daughter can become a better soccer player and maybe a, a great soccer player. Just this last week, my son Mark and I spent about an hour and a half alone in the gym at the rec center, nobody else in there, uh, doing drills and, 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 and uh, me coaching him, helping him become a better basketball player. 
I was just dripping with sweat and sore after that hour and a half. Maybe he'll be a great basketball player. It's part of our human nature uh, to desire uh, greatness. We desire it in all sorts of different realms, the athletic realm, in the realm of beauty or fitness, in the academic, uh, spiritual realm even. We desire greatness. Uh, This is the realm that the disciples are arguing about in the passage that Bud has read. They're wanting to be great in this realm of discipleship, in this realm of, of, of the twelve. They're wanting to be great spiritually. The interesting thing is Jesus does not tell them to not be great. He doesn't say to put greatness to death, that, that, that to get away from that kind of thinking. What he does is he redefines greatness. He redefines it. And he often uh, redefines things or explains things with a story or uh, with an illustration. And that's what we have here. Maybe. Coming on the screen. No projection going. All right. So let me read this, uh, read this to you, okay, what Bud read. So listen to the word here. You were just going to look on the screen at, at Mark 9. And sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And taking a child, he set him before them. And taking him into his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. Whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. Jesus is, is showing them if they want to be great, He's showing them, he's saying not to stop this desire to be great. He's saying if you want to be great, and he takes a child, and he says you need to receive someone like this. Someone that in those days was not only uh, not to be heard, but not even to be seen. Uh, Children in those days. We know this from uh, one of the other Gospels. You remember the story, Jesus and his family Uh, have been to Jerusalem when he's a boy, when he's 12 years old. Remember what happens? So they leave. Uh, They they, they walk for a day. (laughs) They walk for a day. And then they realize our 12-year-old isn't here. If we had time, we could give testimonies this morning of leaving children behind. How many of us here have left? I want to see hands. How many of us here have left children behind? Amen. Amen. I've done it. I won't share my testimony because I might lose the vote today if I share that, (laughs) if I share it with you. They left him behind. They they walked a day. They got to go a day back. And the Bible tells us on the third day, they find him in Jerusalem. Children were the group not to be seen, not to be heard, not to be cared for, not to be served. And so Jesus takes one of those children on his lap and says, if you receive someone, someone that's kind of an outcast or not to be sacrificed for, not to be served, if you receive someone like this, he says, you're receiving me. Implications for that are pretty massive. The people that we tend to want to look by or look over or not serve, 
we are receiving Jesus, and he says, not only receiving me, but him who sent me, we're receiving the Father as we serve those, as we recognize those. So Jesus tells this, gives this illustration, bringing a child up to show what uh, true greatness looks like. It looks like servanthood. It looks like humility. The word humility isn't in that passage that Bud read, but it is in our passage today in Philippians. And that's where we're headed. Um, Let's bow our heads and pray uh, together and uh, as we get into our passage for today. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the, the correction that it gives us about what greatness is. And Lord, I ask now that you would go above and beyond anything that I could prepare today. And I ask that the Holy Spirit would be at work through the living and active Word of God and that we would be changed. That we would desire to be great, but we would desire to be great in the way that you have laid out for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Philippians chapter 2 is where we are uh, today. Philippians chapter 2. And our text is verses 1 through 4. And as you're turning there in your Bibles, Philippians 2, 1 to 4, uh, we're, we're actually going to go back to last week's passage. A lot of you weren't here last week, so we're going to get a little review for that, but that's not really why we're going to go back. We're going to go back because chapter 2 begins, verse 1, just the third word or so in is the word un, or the word therefore. And so it's connected to last week's uh, passage, which was one sentence. And today's passage, chapter 2, 1 through 4, is also just one, uh, what I say, one passage, one sentence in the Greek New Testament. So last week, preached on one sentence in the Greek New Testament. Today, verses 1 through 4 is just one sentence. And they're connected by a therefore. So let's go back, chapter 1 and verse 27. Just a quick review here. Uh, Verse 27 begins, uh, most of your translations have this word only, or the NIV has whatever happens. Uh, That word only, monos, an important word. We could paraphrase that one single word, monos, just this one thing. That's the way verse 27 begins. Paul says, just this one thing. And what is this one thing? This one thing is to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And that was last week's sermon. We unfolded in this sentence through verse 30 what this one thing, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, what that looks like. We identified three things. The first thing was unity. Look there at the next sentence. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without... uh, We'll stop there. So the first thing was unity in the gospel. This is, the, this is what it looks like to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the, of the gospel is for the Philippians to have unity in the gospel. Not unity in how they dress. Not unity in their Bible translation. Not unity in how they educate their children. But unity in the gospel. Then he goes on. The second thing we saw last week. Um, the second thing was, was fearlessness. It's... Uh, Where is it here? Verse 28. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. What does it look like to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? Unity. 
and fearlessness. Even those who are going to oppose you, you're not going to have anxiety. You're not going to have stress. You're not going to freak out. This is what Paul wants to see. This is the one thing divvied up into three things like a good preacher. And then he says uh, the third thing that we drew out was from verse 29. It's been granted, uh, been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Uh, and we talked about the difficulty. This is, again, one of those sentences in the Bible that we, we don't really like. That part of God's plan for us is to follow Christ in the way that he suffered, not in the exact way, but he suffered on the cross. And, and part of his plan for his children is to suffer redemptively. And so this is the one thing. And so he, he basically continues this one thing where we, where we pick it up today in, in chapter 2 with this therefore that, unfortunately, the NIV doesn't, doesn't translate that therefore. So you may want to make a note there. There's a therefore there at the beginning of verse 1. And then we have these four if statements. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. So we see the goal here, beginning in the end of verse 2, is unity again, that they would be like-minded and have the same love and, and one spirit and purpose, all going back to verse 27, around the gospel. Paul's heart is already full of joy. Notice in verse 2 he says, then make my joy complete or fill it to the rim." He's a joyful man, but if if I'm going to really have joy, I want to hear that these Philippians, these people that I love so much, that you are united around the gospel. So I'm not going to preach the same sermon. Some of you are saying, are you going to preach the same sermon? The the theme here is is unity again in these first couple verses. And he uses this this poetic one, these these if-then, these four if clauses and then a then clause. And the way we should understand these if statements I'll take a look at them again in, in chapter 2, verse 1. We should understand them this way. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and I know that you do, if any comfort from his love, and I know that you do, if any fellowship coming from the Holy Spirit is, is the way I would take this, if any fellowship, this is what we would call a genitive of source, the source of of the fellowship is God the Holy Spirit. If you have any fellowship coming from God the Holy Spirit, and I know that you do, if any tenderness and compassion, and I know that you have it, Philippians, then make my joy by being complete. Make my joy full to the rim because you're united around the gospel. That was the message from the verses last week, our passage last week. But then in verses 3 and 4, he goes somewhere new. He goes to a new place. He adds a new element. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So he adds this new element All this is fitting under this one thing back in verse 27. Here's the one thing I want. I want you to live out the gospel. I want you to be united in the gospel. I want you to be willing to suffer. And he says here in verses 3 and 4, basically, I want you to to have humility. And humility is considering others better than ourselves. 
It's a passage uh, that can be linked with a passage that Bud read about a, a new kind of greatness that Jesus gives us. This new kind of greatness involves considering others better than ourselves. It involves humility. So I've got to pause here for a second. These guys have been running around. So we no projection today? Can you just bring my computer up to me? We can do this just fine. Everybody okay? Everybody good? Just bring me my uh, computer. Because I didn't print out my notes. And so they're all on the computer here. So let me have them in front of me. Okay? So you closed it. Perfect. Perfect. So it's not even here now. There it is. I'm sorry for this. Humility. Humility. Yeah, we'll add a providential point to this message right here. Okay, two, one to four. Okay. All right. Can I use this? I know this is expensive. Am I allowed to use this? All right. Okay, so here's what I want to do. The rest of the message, really, I want to ask and answer two questions relating to humility. There is difficulty. There is a challenge in considering others better than ourselves, right? Because we often think that we're better than others, if we want to be frank this morning, right? So the first thing I want to do is we try to talk about how to apply this passage. How do I consider others better than myself? How do I have this kind of humility? How do I have this new kind of of greatness? How do I consider myself better than that person over there? How do I consider myself better than that person? Or, Or better, why do I consider myself better than that person over there? I'm giving us the negative now. Okay, This is the problem. This is the negative part of the sermon. Why don't we do this? Okay? One of the reasons I want to suggest is age. Age. You might not think that is um, the issue, an issue, but I I want to suggest it is, both from the passage that, that Bud has read, children are kind of pushed aside, and also from experience. I have never known anyone um, who is pursuing a Ph.D. to care for four-year-olds. I have never known anyone who's pursuing a Ph.D. to care for 84-year-olds or 94-year-olds. We have buildings preschools and uh, for for 4-year-olds and we have buildings for 94-year-olds and they're often lonely places they're often places uh, other than if it's our own family uh, we're not eager to go there you see what i'm saying one of the reasons that we don't consider others better than ourselves i'm saying is age That was true in Jesus' day. That's why in Mark 9, he takes a child and and puts him on his lap. says, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. Whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. 
So those people who are pushed aside are the ones, whether they're young or whoever they are, they're the ones that we should be preaching to ourselves to consider better than ourselves. And one of the reasons we don't do that is because of age. The Declaration of Independence uh, gets it right. This beautiful and famous sentence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. All men, all women, all old people, all young people, we're all created equal. Where do they get that? They get that from Genesis 1, that we are all made in the image of God. So we are all of equal value. So this is a little bit tricky. We are all... You guys just rest back there, all right? Don't worry about it. Right, we can preach with this without us. Do, do, do you have it? All right. I need to just ignore them. Let, someone dismiss them from the room. Um, where was I? Age. All right. Age. The Declaration of Independence. So this is kind of tricky. That's where I was. This is kind of tricky because we are all created equal. We're all of equal value, but the Bible's telling us to consider others better than ourselves. Not because in their essence that they actually are better, we're all equal. But, but God's will for us is to have a disposition where we look at others from the position of servanthood. That's what Jesus did, did on the cross. We're going to hear more about that next week. So, I'm talking about why do I consider myself better than other people? Why don't we do what this passage is calling us to? Number one, I'm saying is age. Number two, I'm saying is education. One of the reasons we don't consider ourselves beneath as servants looking up to others, one of the reasons we don't do that is because of our education. We feel superior because of our education. This year was our first uh, year to have uh, one of our children in public school. So you've got to fill out these forms, lots of forms to fill out. And one of those forms has to do with the education of the mother and the father of the student. And I felt pretty proud filling that form out. We're like at the top of the category. We're in the the 20 plus years, my wife and I, of education each. We've got a lot of it. I just felt very prideful as, we're filling, as I'm filling out that form. Jesus is not so concerned with our education. In fact, it can get in the way a lot. He is not concerned with our degrees, with our status. Just went to forward the slide. <clears throat> First Corinthians 1, listen to this. Listen to the heart of God here. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
We see there in 1 Corinthians 1 that God often goes out of His way to choose fishermen and, and common people, not the most educated, to bring Him glory. Education can actually be a detriment to true greatness, to being a servant. I'm talking about why we're not doing verses 3 and 4 of Philippians 2. Age, education, wealth. 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 We have adopted the world's ideology that wealth is correlative with worth. As wealth increases, my worth increases. As my house is bigger and fancier and more beautiful, my car, etc., my worth goes up. This is how the world works. And this ideology has worked its way into the church. The Bible teaches there is no correlation between wealth and worth. It teaches that there is a correlation between generosity and greatness. Between generosity and greatness. What we should value in the church is not wealth, but generosity. Serving others with our wealth. Not accumulating it. Acts 20.35 And everything I showed you, that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Wealth gets in the way of considering others better than ourselves. We don't have uh, percentages of what we should give financially in the New Testament, except for one place. Mark 12. Listen to it. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. Jesus' measurement is not in the size of the check, but in the generosity of the heart. True greatness is servanthood. This woman was giving sacrificially. And so we have a percentage here, 100%. Kind of fits with Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. None of us are ever going to give 100%. We're always growing in our giving. We're always growing in our generosity. We're talking about why we're not living out verses 3 and 4, why we aren't considering others better than ourselves. Fourth reason is strong work ethic. I'm not going to consider him better than me because he or she doesn't have a strong work ethic and I do. I'm not going to consider that person to be better than myself because that person doesn't have a strong work ethic and I do. 
I'm trying to be frank this morning. How many of us have thought that? There's a little something to that, but I'm not going there. That, that takes the sermon away. I'm, I'm going in a different direction here. The person in the Bible who has the strongest work ethic is Jesus. And the work that he did was the work of crucifixion. The work of redemption. He died for our sins. He didn't wait for us to have the right work ethic. And then he died for us. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And so we are called not to wait for them to get the work ethic, and now I will consider them better than myself, but to be gospel living people. Why do I consider myself better than that person? Age, education, wealth. I have a strong work ethic, they don't. Finally, spiritual maturity. I'm spiritually mature. That person over there isn't. They're not. I am. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that person because I need to be with spiritually mature people and investing in them, not the spiritually immature. I've been there. This week, um, our family uh, watched uh, family watched this uh, documentary, "Beyond the Gates of Splendor." Have you watched this? Know what I'm talking about here? Uh, for those of you that don't, um, going back to uh, the 1950s group of families that went to uh, Ecuador to be uh, missionaries. Got a picture of them here you can't see. Um, I can see it though. Um, A group of uh, young couples and and young children uh, go to the jungles of Ecuador. And uh, they have a heart for spiritually not only spiritually immature people, spiritually lost people. They have a heart for the uh, Wadawni uh, people who are, are um, primitive peoples who live in the jungles of Ecuador. And they are known for being very good with their spears. They not only hunt game really well and feed themselves by spearing, but they are known for murdering one another. And they're known for murdering foreigners that come in. But especially they're known for murdering one another. And this tribe is in danger of going out of existence because the way they deal with conflict is they kill one another by spearing. And and these folks, five uh, couples, the men, uh, Jim Elliott, Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, Nate Saint, uh, they have a heart for these spiritually lost people. They don't have the mindset that I'm going to just pour myself into spiritually mature people. We are going, like Jesus, considering them better than ourselves, that they need the gospel. 
So many of you know this story. It made the news back then. Those of you that were around uh, back then, I'm really young, so I wasn't around back then when this went down. But, but it was in Life magazine. It was in the newspapers. They began by flying their plane over this tribe. They want to take the gospel to them, but they know they, they spear people. So they, they fly their plane over and they drop all kinds of gifts over a, new, over a time period. So these people get the message. These, these, these aren't people we want to spear. These are people we want uh, to welcome. They're sending us food and tools and just dropping them down with parachutes. And then uh, the most powerful part, someone uh, can borrow this uh, that wants to watch it this week for me. The most powerful part for me in this documentary is when they talk about the decision they made. They all have guns. They live in the jungle. They have, they've all got guns. And so they're, they're landing this plane in this river, dangerous landing, coming in over the trees, landing on what they call Palm Beach. And they made a decision that we're not going to use our guns that they have with them if they choose to spear us. They're considering others better than themselves. It's hard to imagine making that decision. You've got little kids and wives back home. We're not going to use our guns. And the worst thing happens. They all get speared. And these five guys die floating in the river. Wives and little kids back, back, uh, back in their missionary village. They did what Paul was praying that the Philippians would do. That they would have this disposition where they considered one another in the church better than themselves and even those outside the church considering them better than myself. Spiritual maturity can get in the way of humility. Andrew Murray uh, wrote a book on humility. He says humiliation is the only ladder to honor in God's kingdom. Humiliation is the only way to get honor in God's kingdom. It's the only way. So I've spent a lot of time this morning on negative stuff. What gets in our way? So let's shift gears. You ready for me to shift gears? So how do we, how do, how do we positively consider that person better than myself? And you're not going to like my first point, okay? You're not going to like it. So give me some, be patient here with this first point. You can't even see it. So um, how do I consider that person better than myself? Two points as we're finishing up. We need to have an honest view of our own inner darkness. An honest view of our own inner darkness you see Jesus is not as concerned with our behavior he's concerned with that but he's concerned with what's in our hearts if you hate someone you've already committed murder if you lusted a woman you've already committed adultery so the, the road to humility involves having an honest view of of our own darkness. 
know you're not going to like this point, but just bear with me here. This is, this is what I'm trying to say. We see this in Paul's life. An honest view of my own inner darkness doesn't and shouldn't, shouldn't lead to depression and discouragement. It should lead to joy and hope. Kind of what I was saying during confession. Listen to how Paul describes himself. You've, you've seen this pointed out before, probably, even by me. Early in his ministry, Paul describes himself in 1 Corinthians 15 as the least of the apostles. 1 Corinthians 15.9, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. A few years go by. Ephesians 3.8. Listen to how he describes himself. Number one, he describes himself, 1 Corinthians 15, least of the apostles. Now he describes himself as least of all the saints. Least of the apostles. Ephesians 3.8, I'm the very least of all the saints. 1 Timothy 1.15, final description of himself. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul has been growing. He's been growing in holiness and in love, but he has also been growing in understanding of his own inner darkness and what a sinner he is. That hasn't led him to go and pout in a corner or to have self-pity. It has led him to consider others better than himself because he knows better than he knows anyone else's sins. He knows his own sins. And he knows what he's been forgiven of. And the biblical response to that is is joy and happiness and humility considering others better than myself. Final point, final thing. How do I consider that person to be better than myself? All of the stuff I've said, it only happens by grace. It only happens by a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we were praying for this morning before we came down here. We do it almost every week. We're all going to stand up here and lead you. And so the temptation is to enter the worldly greatness stuff, and, and, and we want the attention on us, and we want to sing really nicely, some of us. We want to preach really well. Pride creeps in, but we don't want to be front and center. We want Jesus to be front and center. And that only happens by grace. And so we need to be praying and asking for Jesus to give us grace to consider one another. That's Paul's heart for the Philippians, the local body, better than ourselves. But this goes beyond that. That we have a disposition where I consider other people, regardless of their age, regardless of their stature or lack of stature, it's better than myself. That is what Jesus has done for us. That's what we're called to do. Let's, let's pray together. Ask for that. Father, we're, we are just hopeless if we adopt the world's methods and ideology, wealth and power and stature and education and 
all of these things. We're just lost with that. The good news is we don't have to adopt any of that. We can, with Paul, rejoice and again say, I rejoice in Jesus. And by His grace, we can have the kind of life where we're willing to lay our lives down for one another, at least lay a few hours down to serve someone else, a neighbor, a co-worker, a friend, to display the gospel from a place of servanthood, from a place of humility. We want to be that kind of church that Paul wanted the Philippian church to be. Help us individually to consider others better than ourselves. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.